Good morning. Can we try that again? Come on. Good morning. There we go. That's better. I mean, you may only be half the number for service, but you can make twice the noise if you want. So anyway, welcome. Glad you're here. Our third Sunday of the Advent season. Let me ask as we begin, have you ever given or received a puppy for Christmas? Anybody ever been part of that whole ordeal with a puppy for Christmas? Okay, if not, you've at least probably seen it on television, commercials or something like that. You know, the super cute, tiny little cuddly fuzzy balls, usually wearing a big red, you know, bow around its neck, and, and it usually comes bounding around the corner, or maybe it peeks its head out from inside of a box that, you know, is loosely fitting on top of it or whatever. But it's always adorable as it comes you know, tumbling over its clumsy, oversized paws and all that. And you can probably, even now, whether you've experienced it or not, you can feel the warm fuzzies and the lick and the kisses, you know, from the little puppy as he just jumps into your arms and all that. But, um, you know, if you've ever actually, if you've never been actually one of those involved in it, you still know what it can be like. And if you have done it, you know that you cannot contain a puppy in a box, right? It's just not possible. You cannot do that. The little bundle of love and joy, not to mention it's, you know, dog hair and saliva and the little accidents that it's known for, all those things, it, it's not meant to be contained in a box, let alone could you ever the week before, you know, put it in a box and put it under the Christmas tree for a whole week. Obviously, you cannot do such things. Keeping it hidden is a big chore, and, and if you've been down this road, you know that then comes Christmas morning. It's been hard. You've kept that puppy hidden away all week long, somewhere, somehow, and cleaned up all of its messes and all those things. And, and then the, the morning of Christmas comes, and you know that you can't get that puppy out until roughly 60 seconds before the kids come running down the stairs. And as that happens, you put the dog in a little box, and you bribe it with a puppy toy or, or snack or something like that to keep it entertained to, to buy you roughly 30 seconds probably, that's about all you get, that it'll maybe stay inside the box until it pops its head out and comes running over to greet the children and, you know, everybody's new best friends and all those kinds of things. But you see, a dog or a puppy especially is not containable in a box. It comes spilling out, loving everyone that it's around, licking everyone in sight and all that, and joy, which is what I want us to talk about today, joy is much like that puppy at Christmas time. Fortunately, joy is not as hairy, and it doesn't make a mess and all that, but joy is boundless and uncontainable, and it bubbles over and touches everyone that it comes into contact with. That's just the way it works. Speaking of joy, how many of you enjoy bringing joy into somebody else's life? You just like to make people smile. I do too. I love that as well. The Lord loves to do that for us. Can I take just 60 seconds, just a little time out and do that as well? Um, I'm going to make a phone call. I'll let you be a part of this whole thing. But anyway, hang on. You'll see. I like to bring joy into people's lives and into one person's in particular. So um, just a second. I think they're in here. Oh, I hear a phone ringing. Oh, it's my wife's phone. Go ahead. Answer it, honey. Because 
I just called to say I love you. You can sing along with me if you want. You see, because, because I rewrote the 12 days of Christmas, and today is four, uh, four, call, four phone calls. I just called to say how much I care. And so anyway, it's 12 days. You can sing with me. And, and today was, I already did one, and then first service, and then another one this afternoon. You don't need to know any more about that. But anyway, so I just called to say I love you. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. There you go. That's my, my part of my 12 days of Christmas for the one I love most on this planet Earth. Um, and I hope you find ways to do the same for others as well. That didn't work first service because our son dropped the ball. I told him, make sure mom comes in. Make sure her phone is with her. Make sure the ringtone or ringer is turned up. And he totally messed that up. The, the phone was in a purse back there. So anyway, I like... <laughs> Totally dropped the ball, but anyway, at least it kind of worked this time. But um, anyway, joy is what we're celebrating today on the third Sunday of Advent. Joy being like a puppy in a box, uncontainable, something that spills out and spreads out and goes to everywhere, to everyone. If you've been journeying with us the past two weeks, you know as we head toward Christmas that we've been celebrating the season of Advent and as a quick recap, the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. And it is marked by expectation and anticipation. It's marked by longing and waiting. And Advent is more than just another word for Christmas. It is actually a concept that links the past with the present to the future as well. It links the past when we get to remember and celebrate with those from long ago that anticipated and longed for the coming of the Messiah. They waited hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah that was prophesied and talked about in the Old Testament. And finally, He came in the form of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us as a child uh, being born in Bethlehem. It, so Advent today celebrates or connects that with the present when we get to today, celebrate Christmas year after year and enjoy all the things that go along with Christmas, but it also links that with the future when we think about and reminded in anticipation that Jesus is coming back again. He didn't just come once. He's coming again, and we get to look forward to that as well. And so Advent is a celebration of all three of these, linking these all together. And each of these four weeks of Advent, we focus on a different attribute of God that is represented in His first coming and also His second coming. These are the four topics we're focusing on throughout this month, this uh, month of December, these four weeks. They are, as we talked about two weeks ago, the concept of hope. Last week we talked about love. Today we talk about joy, and next week we'll talk about peace. But because Jesus is Emmanuel, or God with us, He not only embodies each of these concepts or words, He actually fills each of us with each of them as well. If you were here two weeks ago on the first Sunday of Advent, you remember that we talked about Zechariah. Um, Luke chapter 1 tells us the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were the parents of John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin. And John was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to be a messenger, to tell the world Jesus is coming. Zechariah was a priest who received a visit from an angel and an angel came to him and said this. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 13 and following. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. 
Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. You see, the catch was that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. I mean, really old, like way past the age of having children. Elizabeth had seen that day come and go long before, and the couple had never been able to have kids. So besides the shock of an angel coming to talk to him, Zechariah also couldn't get over the fact that, at least from his perspective, that this was impossible. For his wife, for them to conceive and have a baby was impossible. He could not initially take that in, and as a result, his voice was taken away. He was not allowed to speak until the baby was born. But today, let's look a little closer to Elizabeth, because in the story of of God with us, which again is Emmanuel, that's what that means, in that story, Elizabeth deeply experienced joy. I mean, incredible joy in the midst of a miraculous event that she found herself suddenly in the middle of and part of. But to understand Elizabeth's true joy, to really get it, I mean, to really understand her incredible joy, I think we have to also understand some of her past, which includes a lot of pain. You see, for the ancient Jews, having children was a tremendous blessing. And therefore, in converse fashion, reverse fashion, not being able to have children was a tremendous disappointment. She would have known this passage. Psalms 127 tells us, Children are a blessing from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. You see, children allowed a family to pass on its name and heritage. They obviously provided more hands to get the tasks at hand done. Um, They allowed the family to expand their ability to forge a livelihood through their craft or trade. But most importantly, children were viewed as a gift from God, a sign of God's favor. And so to be childless was a source of incredible, I mean, it's understated to say the word, but it was an incredibly frustrating, difficult situation, full of shame, full of sorrow. And Elizabeth would have known this kind of despair for decades, decades. She most likely would have married Zachariah when she was a young teenager, And the couple would have probably hoped right away to have children. That was the common way to do things. Elizabeth probably daydreamed about what it would be like to have children of her own. She probably, you know, thought all the time about how incredible it will be to hold my babies in my arms and nurse them and all those things that moms do. And she probably made lists of names in her mind, you know, all the family names that they had in their lineage and were excited about passing those down. And at first, Elizabeth might have been disappointed at the lack of a pregnancy, you know, but maybe thought, well, the timing's just not right. It'll be okay. It'll happen. But then it didn't. Or maybe, maybe like many of you ladies in the room here, maybe she experienced a pregnancy, maybe multiple pregnancies, but then they ended in sadness. Joy and hope would have leaped in Elizabeth's heart when she realized that she had a new seed that had been sprung to life in her womb. When she was pregnant, she might have even told friends and family, I'm pregnant. But then something happened, and she had a miscarriage. I know there are many of you that have gone down that road. 
You know, initially, while physically hard and emotionally painful, Elizabeth might still have somehow in her mind reconciled that in a way to maybe trust God and dismiss that first one or maybe even second one as well as a fluke. I mean, she probably knew other ladies who had had that same issue before later having, you know, a number of children. But for her, as many times as pregnancy might have began, it always came to an end prematurely. And so her hope just began to die. Well, friends and family probably offered encouragement and shared in her sorrow. They might have even offered advice that was well-intentioned, of course, but at the same time probably ended up being kind of hurtful. Maybe somebody came and told her, well, you know, Elizabeth, when, when we were trying to get pregnant, we blah, 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 did X, Y, Z, and maybe, maybe you can try that. Or worse yet, somebody might have come and said, you know, maybe, Elizabeth, maybe God just doesn't want you to have a baby. Or worse than that, maybe somebody came, again, well-intentioned, and said, hey, maybe there's sin in your life that you need to confess. Well, who knows? But, uh, and who knows how long it all took? But gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope would have slowly withered and died as she came to terms with the fact that something was indeed wrong and that she simply would not ever have children. And at some point, the social stigma actually began to really stick. And that was that horrible word, barren. Oh, isn't that a horrible thing? But she probably heard that, at least in her own mind, maybe in the whispers of others around her. Elizabeth would have grieved deeply and would have accepted the loss of status that came in her culture from being childless. She would never be considered as worthy or as esteemed or as honored as the other women that she did life with. She probably accepted her fate as failure in their eyes and just humbly tried to continue to move forward, but felt horrific, horrible pain. And yet, despite all of that, Elizabeth must have somehow known some happiness as well. She, would have been deep, she was deeply involved in community life, especially since Zechariah was, was an honored priest and thought highly of. And though she carried a weight, a heavy weight and painful weight, she and Zechariah remained faithful to God. We know that because God's Word tells us that in Luke 1, verse 6. Both of them, Luke says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's a pretty cool statement, especially considering how heavy this weight had to be for her. And this is how they planned to live the rest of their older lives together, serving God as, uh, and all the people around them despite all this pain and struggle that they had dealt with. But then, all of a sudden, one day, boom, God spoke in an incredible fashion, unseen by them or anybody that they knew before. They had not seen such a thing happen. But one day, on an ordinary day, with Zechariah at work in the temple, doing his normal priestly things, the angel Gabriel came and blew their world apart with an incredible message that they did not know how to initially respond to. And again, Zechariah wasn't allowed to even verbalize to his wife what the angel had said because of his doubt, so he would have to either write it out, although that presumes that she was able to read, which maybe, maybe not. Maybe he had to use signs and gestures to communicate to her. We don't really know, but I think it's safe to assume that Elizabeth must have thought she misunderstood him at first. 
like, however he did it, whether it be in written form or gestures or whatever, I think she would have been like, whoa, wait a minute, Zachariah, do you really mean, surely you don't mean what it sounds like you're trying to communicate. Are you really telling me, for real? I mean, it's an incredible thing that she was told that I think probably was almost too much for her as well initially to take on. It seemed too good to be true. Could she even allow herself to go there? I mean, hope must have kicked in her heart like the thump of a baby in a mother's womb. But still, could she open her heart to such a possibility after all the years and prayers and desires and longings that had been full of disappointment over and over? Could she believe it this time? Well, from what we can tell from Luke's account, it does seem that Elizabeth actually did have an easier time accepting this truth than in this miraculous news than her husband, but I think it's still safe to assume that it was very difficult initially to take it all in. But soon she was not only filled with faith, she was filled with more. She was pregnant. And in Luke chapter 1, we read verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You know, what's curious is that Luke also told us that Elizabeth spent the first five months of her pregnancy in seclusion. Now, there's no way to know for sure what, you know, or to, for us to know why, but maybe she knew that no one would believe her. Maybe that's why she spent that time away, because nobody's going to believe me until I'm, you know, five months pregnant or something like that, and everybody sees, and I'm showing. Or maybe she went into that seclusion and spent time away so as to, to uh, share in her husband's silence, to spend time with him as he had to also wait until that miracle unfolded and was born. But what we do know is that in her sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced a deep, I mean, deep encounter with joy brought on by her Messiah whose human life had also just sprung into being in her much younger cousin Mary's womb. Incredible story. As we discussed last week, young Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit and came to stay with her older cousin Elizabeth, much older cousin, for three months. And as soon as Mary arrived, Elizabeth's baby, according to Luke 1 verse 41, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And with a sudden end to her silence and seclusion, Elizabeth's joy just overflowed, came jumping out of that box, if you will, and she greeted Mary with a beautiful and insightful blessing. Here are some of her words. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is the one who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. Blessed are you, Mary, that you believed, that you trusted, even though maybe you're only, what, 13 or 14 years old. I think the faith of both of these women, Mary going through this miraculous thing at such a young age, and Elizabeth at such an old age, their stories, their faith is so beautiful. There's so much to learn from and be encouraged by, inspired by these two women. Incredible, beautiful story. But the puppy was out of the box now, wasn't it? 
I mean, the puppy was out. Joy was flowing, and true to its nature, joy was contagious. Mary burst into her own song of praise and thanksgiving and, and uh, gave words to the miracle that was happening through her because finally, finally she was understood. She was believed. She was confirmed. This is a big deal to both of them. See, without Mary even having to explain anything, Elizabeth somehow just knew, and she gave voice to exactly what was going on. Maybe God had, re- had revealed that to her earlier. Maybe. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe God opened her eyes on the spot as her own miracle, soon-to-be-born son John, who was growing inside of her, somehow, despite not having the physical ability to see with eyeballs or obviously words to communicate anything, maybe somehow John inside of her was able to see and know that Jesus was there as well in Mary's womb. And somehow that was communicated through the Holy Spirit to both of these women. We don't really know exactly how it happened, but we know that more than anyone else in the world was able to, these two women understood each other. They knew what was happening. And they were filled with incredible joy that could no longer be contained, no matter how difficult the circumstances had been leading up to it, and no matter what was to come around the corner as well. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was already unleashing, as we like to sing, joy to the world. It was incredible. And already his joy began to make ripples. You know, when Elizabeth gave birth to John three months later, the joy of the miracle spread throughout her family, throughout her village. Luke 1, verse 57 says, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. I mean, this thing is spreading. The ripple effect is happening. It's going everywhere. Perhaps, I don't know this, but perhaps there's no greater joy than the joy of a mother getting to hold their baby for the first time. I remember being there when Kim was able to hold Ethan and then hold Garrett a few years later. You know, I got to be part of that. I mean, there, it's just an indescribable, incredible joy. And for Elizabeth, this joy must have been especially overwhelming because she was not only experiencing a miracle like so many other moms have and would after her, she was experiencing a miracle that had to have been incredibly bigger and more beautiful because it healed a a lifetime of struggle and disappointment and pain and shame and disrespect. And it was only the beginning of the miracles that she would witness in her lifetime. So, with that story as our backdrop, what would you or I give to receive or to have that kind of joy, inexpressible incredible, endless joy that only God could give. You know, to see the scars of difficulty and shame of our life washed away in a dramatic moment like that. Now, most likely, I don't know this, but most likely most of us probably will not see it happen in such a way. I doubt that's going to happen. I don't mean to be a person that doubts, but I'm just saying that doesn't seem to happen um, today. God doesn't seem to work that way that often anymore anyway. But maybe that will happen to you. But whether it does or doesn't, the joy that Elizabeth experienced is something for every single one of us in this room. And I want you to understand that today. That's really what I want to drive home today. This joy that she had is a joy brought into our world by Jesus, by God with us. 
And though we are living long past the days when He walked this earth and when, when He allowed this kind of thing to happen for us, He offers this same joy and this same kind of life, life to the full or life more abundantly. He offers that for us today as well. It just looks different. The Apostle Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter 1 verse 8, said, though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Say that phrase with me, an inexpressible and glorious joy. Say it with me, an inexpressible and glorious joy joy. That is awesome stuff. I mean, it's really beyond description. That's the point of those words. And this is the stuff that runs so much deeper than happiness. A lot of people in our world today think that joy and happiness are synonyms, but they are not. They might almost function that way for people who are non-believers because they don't really know what true joy is, because joy comes from the Lord. All good and perfect gifts come from Him. Joy comes from Him. And so they might not understand it. And so to them, happiness might be as good as it gets. But happiness is different. Happiness is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing. But it is not on the same level um, to the same degree as what joy is. We all love to be happy. We all love to feel good. Does anybody not? Does anybody go, you know, I don't really care to be happy. I'm fine with being unhappy. No, everybody loves to be happy, right? Of course we do. But happiness comes and goes as the circumstances around us change by the hour or day or minute sometimes. Happiness can come from all kinds of things. Maybe it's a birthday party or balloons or Christmas presents or, you know, your favorite song being sung on a bright sunny day in the mountains of Colorado or whatever makes you smile. Maybe it's, you know, the the te- your team winning the big game, yay for you Cleveland Brown fans, you know, you still have a chance at playoffs, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Not really, but you might think you do. But anyway, my point is, my point is maybe it's something like that, but, but joy is different. You see, all these other things are things that are also temporary. They are fleeting. And the pursuit of, happi- pursuit of happiness for the sake of happiness can be pretty shallow. In fact, it can also be pretty self-centered. Listen to a quote from a guy named Viktor Frankl, who was the famous Jewish survivor of a World War II Nazi concentration camp. He wrote the book, Man's Searching for Meaning, and in it he, once, he said this, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. And he went on to differentiate delineate between happiness and joy and explain the great difference between these two words. You see, now joy, what we do need to understand, joy can include happiness. Happiness can be part of that, but joy is so much bigger than happiness. Joy permeates our souls. So in our lives, what does joy look like? Well, it might take the form of the birth of your child. It might be your wedding day. It might be when you hear a doctor say, you are cancer-free now, or your loved one wakes up from a coma, or your spouse who left you for a period of time and said it's over said, I'm ready to get counseling. Let's talk about reconciliation. Or maybe it's the moment that you come up out of the water after being baptized. Joy can take a lot of different forms, but joy is rooted in gratitude 
and meaning and hope fulfilled, especially when it is linked to our relationship with our Creator. You see, the greatest joy comes from this word, Emmanuel, God with us. That's where real joy comes from, knowing and believing and trusting and experiencing God with us. And as we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus in this Advent season, and as we walk with Him beyond and and toward the day when He will come again and fulfill His healing work, we can, I want you to understand this, we can experience those words of inexpressible and glorious joy, even on this side of heaven. We can. We can. But not just we collectively. You can. Each of you, I wish I could take a moment and look each one of you in the eye and say, you can, you can, you can. Every one of us, you can, we can. We often think, yeah, we collectively, the human race can, but not me. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And you can know with confidence that even in a greater sense, unending joy awaits you one day. Those who surrender their lives to the Lord and walk with Him not that you're perfect, but that you are walking with the Lord. You have surrendered. You are, you are saved by His grace. Those in that boat know that someday their joy will be complete, perfect in every way. There will be absolute perfect joy, which is something we really don't fully grasp. We cannot really understand on this side of earth. But even today, in the middle of difficulties, we can still, like Nehemiah in the Old Testament, the Jewish leader who faced great odds in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, we can experience the truth, and this is his quote, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord can be your strength and can be present in your life even today, no matter what your circumstances may be, what it looks like. This inexpressible and glorious joy is not only for tomorrow when we get to heaven, it is for, day, for today as well on this side of heaven. And again, joy and happiness are similar in some ways, but they are very, very different. If there's one thing, one defining characteristic of joy that I hope you will take away from our time together this morning, if you're filling in the blanks, you see the next one is this. I hope you will write this down or at least put it in your mind, and that is that joy defies our circumstances. Joy defies our circumstances. Happiness comes and goes with the positive events or experiences in our life, but joy is broader than that. It's deeper, it's wider, it's bigger, it's stronger, it's better in every way. Joy flows deep even in the face of challenges and loss and and even suffering. Joy draws from Jesus, God with us, and sees the big picture beyond the immediate pain. James, the brother of Jesus, famously said it best right at the beginning of his book when he wrote this, consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Like, wait a minute, what? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. You see, joy understands that there is more to the situation than what meets the eye, that God is at work always, even in the tough stuff or the tough situations in life, and that eventually God will make everything right that He'll make everything healed and whole, including you and your situation. Because of that, we, all of us, you and I, can experience joy in the here and now 
no matter how bad the here and now may look and feel. You know, every Sunday morning before, we, before the band and the team comes out here to begin the worship service before first service, we're back there um, in, an, in an office together and we pray together about what's happening and go over the flow of the service and all that. And as we did that this morning, right before we came out on stage, um, uh, we were praying together and Chad prayed about and acknowledged the fact that while this season of Christmas is like, you know, woohoo, the best time of the year for a lot of people. Lots of people feel that way. I mean, how many of you? Come on, who says Christmas is the best time of the year? How many of you feel that way? A lot of people do. Well, at the same time, there are a lot of others who actually find Christmas to be the most depressing time of the year for various reasons. Maybe um, because it's their first Christmas without a loved one, or maybe it's because they don't know the Lord and and so this notion of Jesus and Christ and all these things about Him just really don't sit well with them. Talk with my wife who knows somebody who recently has said that she's going to go on a cruise over Christmas. Oh, that must be cool. That's kind of, you know, something to almost get jealous of. Well, not so fast because as she explained why, it's all to do with the fact that she's divorced, remarried, or she only has one child, and the one child thinks she's the, bad, she's the bad guy, so doesn't want to have anything to do with her. She doesn't have anybody else that really enjoys her or likes her and her family, so Christmas is a lonely, boring time and painful. And so to try to not think about it, hey, let's go on a cruise and pretend Christmas doesn't exist. There are a lot of people like that. Suicide rates climb at Christmas time beyond any other time in the year. Because while it's the best time of the year for many, it is the worst time for others. And because of that, because of these things, we need to understand that this joy that God wants for us is for us, but it is also for others as well. And that God may want you to be like the puppy that overflows and comes jumping out of that box and just, you know, gets all in the face of everybody around them in a good way. You know, not maybe don't lick people, but you know what I mean but get in the face of others in a beautiful way and love them and let that joy flow from you to others. Because of this, we can experience joy in the here and now, no matter how bad the here and now may look and feel. Now, sure, there's a process involved. It's part of the point. In fact, as we continue to practice opening our hearts to God's Spirit, immersing ourselves in His Holy Word and and aligning our thinking and our perspectives to His ways, We experience His Holy Spirit living within us, working within us, bringing us clarity and understanding and strength to trust and see and act on this joy as we see Elizabeth and Mary doing in an incredible way to set an example for us. This is the joy that He wants for you and me, for all of us. So let me ask you, what are the difficult hurdles that you're facing right now? in your life as Christmas approaches. Let's see, what is it? uh, Nine days, right? Nine days from now. What are the hurdles that are facing you on your journey toward Christmas? What are the circumstances that threaten to steal your joy? Maybe they're heavy for you. Maybe you're like, you know, things are pretty good in my life. Okay, maybe. But what about your neighbor? What about your daughter? What about your father? What about your cousin? Whoever it may be in your life that is struggling. If you can think of those situations in your life or someone who's going through hard times right now, that their joy is being squelched or at least threat, it's threatening to be squelched, 
then let me ask you to do this. I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through because I know the, the pain is real. I know it's deep. But can I encourage you to take a look from a different angle? Can I encourage you to ask God to give you a different viewpoint? Ask Him to show you a bigger picture than what you with your eyeballs can see. Ask Him to do that. You may not experience a miracle as clear as Elizabeth's. You might, but you might not. But in this season of Advent and Christmas, I want you to know that there is a miracle for all of us. That includes you or that person that came to your mind as I was just talking about people that struggle. There is a Christmas miracle for all of us, the miracle of God with us. He is with us. He is with you. He is with me. He's with that friend that is in your mind right now, if we allow Him to be. And God with us means that He is here to heal us, to forgive us, to redeem us and restore us, to help us transform whatever those situations are in our life that are difficult. And this is cause for great joy. I mean, for incredible, boundless joy, even in our darkest days. This was the message that the angel brought to the shepherds. You know, every time you see an angel coming in Scripture, every time you see an angel coming to a person, whoever it may be, the, almost every single time the reaction is great fear, trembling, falling to their knees, something like that, because it was a terrifying thing. I mean, I, we think of cute, cuddly little things, you know, like what we think of in Christmas pageants with little girls with their little wings, whatever. I don't think that's what people really saw when an angel came to them. And, and so the shepherds who were terrified heard these words, and these words apply to you and me as well. They said to those shepherds outside of Bethlehem, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And impact, family, I want you to know you are part of all the people. You and I are part of that. All the people means you. It means me. When you think of God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, think of it not only as God with us collectively, but think of it as God with me. Can you do that? Spend time praying and say, God, would you help me to think that way? God with me. That is who you are. That is what Emmanuel means. And allow this great joy for all the people that uh, the shepherds were told about to be a great joy that God allows to spring to life in you as well. Before we close today, though, let me, uh, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to let you look at one more, ask you to look at one more aspect of joy that I think needs to be applied to all of our lives today. It's a critical piece to this whole conversation, and that is this. It is the fact that joy, listen to this, joy can be a choice. Joy is an action. It can be. We've talked about Mary in previous weeks. In fact, we talked about Mary today, as you know, of course, as she spent time with Elizabeth. But think about this. Remember when, when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth was overcome with joy, which spread to Mary. But when it did, the beginning of Mary's expression went like this. These are some of Mary's words. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, circle that word, rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. These are incredibly powerful words from Mary, but the key word there that I want you to focus on is rejoices. And let me tell you why. You see, it is the active form of this word, joy. 
the verb form of the word. And this is Mary's choice. This is Mary choosing and embracing joy in the role that God had given for her. She did not have to be joyful. Don't misunderstand that or don't forget or fail to understand this. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, um, have you ever been volunteered to do something that you didn't actually want to? Has anybody ever done that? Been, you know, you were voluntold. You didn't volunteer. You were voluntold. All right, we've been there, probably everybody at some point or another. Well, Mary could have looked, think about it. Mary could have looked at her situation a little bit like that. She did not ask to be the mother of the Son of God. She didn't say, hey, me, sign me up. She didn't do that. And if she had been like you and me, or like many of us anyway, if she had been asked, I don't know this, but I think maybe she might have said, actually, oh, no, thank you. I, I'm not up to that. I, I don't want to do that. Maybe. We don't know. But she was told what was going to happen. This part was not her choice, but her response was completely her choice. And in Mary's words, we see an incredibly beautiful response. She rejoiced. She chose joy. Joy didn't just happen to her. Joy was something she chose. She focused on the big picture and embraced her difficult role with her faith, with trust, with joy, with all of her heart, blazing an incredible trail for us, setting an incredible example for all of us. And in a similar way, in our own situations and seasons of life, we can do the same. We get to, if we want to, we don't have to, but we get to choose joy even when we face difficult situations, if we want to. We can embrace the miracle of God with us. Do you understand how miraculous it is that God is with us? Emmanuel is not just a song we sing about. It is the truth that God is with us. Somebody say it with me. Say, God is with me. Say it with me. God is with me. God with me. That is Emmanuel. And that is the joy. That's the source of joy that God wants for you and me. And this is something He wants to do in us and through us for others as well. Regardless of whether or not the path we're on is a path we chose. The Bible is filled with verses exhorting and encouraging us to rejoice. Probably because most of us need lots and lots of reminders, don't we? We don't often hear things the first time and retain it. So God tells us things like this over and over. Let me just share a couple. In Romans chapter 12, we read this. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And interesting, those are together. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And I love how he says it in Philippians 4, 4. He says it twice in the same sentence because we often, again, fail to retain or remember. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice! God is with you! There are, there are so many more. This is only the beginning of these verses, but the message and the takeaway is the same. And here's the bottom line as we close. We get to choose joy because God chose us. Isn't that beautiful? I'd like to ask you to stand with me. I want to close this in prayer, and I want to do so by reading over you a... Uh, scripture that is that can be a prayer for us psalm 5 verse 11 says this bow your heads and just let me read this pray this over you dear lord but but let all who take refuge in you be glad let them ever sing for joy 
for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice. There's the action. May rejoice in you, Lord. That is our prayer, Father, that you would not only fill us with joy, but help us to then overflow this, let this joy overflow from us onto the others around us. Maybe it's our immediate family. Maybe it's, maybe it's our neighbor, our friend. Maybe it's somebody we have to pick up the phone and call because they live a thousand miles away. I don't know, but Lord, help us. Maybe it's a stranger we meet today at City Market. I don't know, but Lord, help us to be filled with joy and to look for ways to allow you to work within us, to fill us with that so that we honor you and worship you because you are with us but help us to also let it flow to others around us as well. And Lord, as we sing about your love for us right now, may we worship you and honor you like, like the shepherds, like the wise men later in that story, or Mary and Joseph, innkeeper and others that were involved in that story in one way or another in their time. Lord, I pray they all worshiped you appropriately, and I pray you help us to do the same to worship you and honor you and love you with our whole heart. And we pray all these things in the name of Emmanuel, God with us, your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, and all God's people together said, Amen. Let's sing, let's worship, and if you want to come and respond, do it as we sing.